And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, Elevate Christian Church, your number two preacher, standing five foot nine, ready to ball and bring the word, Andrew Dawson! All right, so for real, as we're getting into this, I want to talk today before we break into to James chapter 1. By the way, if you uh, haven't already, scan the QR code that's going to pop up on the screen behind me. I'm out of breath after that. It's been a while since I've had to do that. Scan the QR code that's going to be your home for all the notes for today. But have you ever seen those guys playing sports that just are all about the gear? That have like all the different wristbands and all the different stuff on before they go play basketball, golf? That's always been me in sports. When I started playing football, I had like the, the special armbands that I like pulled all the way up to my biceps to make them look a little bit bigger. And I always had like the ankle braces on. I used them in basketball all the time as well. When I first started playing basketball in college, I had, I had to wear the wristband like this one because Mike wore one. My dad wore one, so I needed to wear one. And then I had this weird chip on my, my elbow over here. So I always had to have this on, you know, just in case I jumped on the floor really hard and could hurt my elbow, and my knees always hurt, so I had to have these special knee braces for after practice so my knees didn't hurt too much, and I occasionally would switch out the armband for a shooting sleeve, you know, you got to keep your arm warm for all the, the shots you're putting up in basketball, right, and I even had a headband, if you want to throw this picture up real quick, oh yeah, that's way more of me than I ever thought needed to be on a screen, but I, I had to wear the headband, too, because I was bald back then, because I thought I looked like Mike Bibby. Few people know who that actually is. But I wore the headband so the sweat wouldn't get in my face. I always had to wear, like, all the gear, right? I had to have all the different stuff on. And then I slowly realized that the guys that wore all the gear are usually the ones that are sitting on the bench. <laughs> like, they're the ones that aren't that great, right? And as I noticed this, as we started watching warm-ups, I saw that all the guys that were really good maybe had a set of ankle braces on or something like that. They didn't wear all the sleeves. They didn't wear all the wristbands. And so slowly, I started to remove a lot of the different junk that I would slowly put on over the course of time. And I realized that as I was playing basketball, I actually started to play a little bit better because I wasn't so worried about how I looked running out. I was just worried about playing basketball. And everything changed for me athletically when I started to focus on just playing basketball rather than focusing on what I look like. And what's really funny is I have the tendency to do this in almost every aspect of my life. Like when I start playing basketball, I need all the gear. When I start playing golf, I need all the golf clubs, right? I needed every new driver, iron, wedge, putter that came out. I think I've had like 10 different putters. But the funniest part is after I realized that I'm that person and I quit worrying about the gear, I get really annoyed by those kind of people which is really dumb. I get annoyed by the people who are like me that are all about the gear. Like, oh, dude, you, you don't need the newest driver. You don't need all those wristbands and stuff. Like, if you're going to play basketball with your friend and you're just playing pickup games, I would always ignore the guy that had all the wristbands and everything on because I figured, oh, he can't play basketball. When in all reality, that was me. But I think what I'm trying to get at here is this is how the world sees us as Christians. Because we're all about being a Christian but I wonder if that's actually the way the world sees us. My key point today is we're looking through this book of James. 
is that the world sees Jesus through us. You're going to notice this truth through the end of chapter 1. You're going to see that James wants us to know that the way the world views Jesus is based on how the world sees us. And I don't think we're always that great of a representation for the world. I think we struggle with how we represent Jesus in a lot of ways. For example, Mahatma Gandhi, many of you have probably heard of him. He is credited with saying, I can't actually find the quote anywhere, but he was supposedly the guy that said, I love the Americans' Jesus. I just wish they looked a little bit more like him. Or one of my other favorite quotes is at the beginning of a DC Talk song. And maybe you guys have heard of it if you're old enough and you like to listen to DC Talk when you were young like me. It says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the doors, and deny him by their lifestyle. And that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And so I think a lot of times as Christians, we try to model Jesus, or at least we study what we're supposed to look like when it comes to being the model for who Jesus is. But I think we fall short a lot of times. I, can't tell, I cannot tell you how many times I've been on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, and I see people who have Bible verses in their profile and then are immediately blasting all sorts of people throughout all of the different posts that they make. Or they make inappropriate memes and share inappropriate reels and all that stuff, all with the Jesus headline in the profile, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think we fail a lot of times as Christians to actually look like Jesus. And so today, I'm going to start off reading in James chapter 1, verse 19. And we're going to go through several verses here that I think really show us what this is supposed to look like and how we do, can do a better job of representing Jesus. And as Rob said last week, I absolutely love the way that James put so many things. Because I don't have to give you these amazing words and these amazing catchphrases, because James does all the work for us. He's very plain in exactly what he says. Although, as Rob said last week, he was quoting the ESV because it is the superior version. This week, I'm going to read from the NIV because I can. So verse 19 says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Very, very plainly, James says at the beginning of verse 19 exactly what we need to take away from it. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I don't need to butter that up. I don't need to say that in any special way. That's the truth. We as Christians would do a much better job representing Jesus if we were quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And we could apply this in two different ways. Actually, when people like scholars read this, they're torn on what exactly James is talking about. They're trying to figure out, is he talking about the way we read Scripture, or is he talking about the way that we interact with people? The truth is, either way, we can read this correctly. That when we read Scripture, when we read the truth of the Word of God, which we see talked about in verse 18, we should be quick to listen to the Word. We should be slow to speak about the Word until we fully understand it. And we should quick be slow to become angry if we disagree with it. We should listen to the Word of God. Or if James is talking about how we speak to other people, the same thing is also true. We should be quick to listen to what other people have to say. We should be slow to speak. 
and we should be slow to become angry. And I'm really bad at that, especially in conversations with people. If we're having a conversation, and this may shock some of you, if you're talking about something that I might disagree with you on, I'm already formulating my argument while you're trying to continue giving yours. It's just how my brain works. I want to immediately formulate the perfect argument for what you're trying to say that I completely disagree with, and I'm waiting for you to stop talking so that I can butt in at any point. That's where my mind goes. But if I'm trying to be like Jesus, which I have tried actively in every conversation I have since reading this verse, I forget what I'm trying to argue with you about and just listen to what you have to say. And I think as Christians, if we wanted to model Jesus this way, I think we should do the exact same thing. When somebody is speaking to you, instead of trying to think of what you're going to say next, just listen to what they have to say. I think we as Christians would really get along with even the people who disagree, who think we're hypocrites and liars, if they realize that we were just willing to listen to them. Even if we disagree, if we were still slow to speak and slow to become angry, and we just listened, I think the world would change. I think people would start to see Christians incredibly differently if we just started with that verse. But the best thing about James is that's not even the best part of this section of Scripture. He's really quick with this, but then immediately changes gears in what he has to say. He goes on into verse 21, and I'm going to break this down almost word for word, because this is the richest part of what we're reading this morning. He says, therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly, uh, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. First off, he says, therefore, which there's a lot of really smart preachers that get up here and say, anytime you see therefore in the Bible, you need to ask the question, what is it there for? Sure, it just means that something important is about to be said, okay? So we need to pay attention to what he says right after that. He just gave this grand pro proclamation that you have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then he puts this therefore here to make you realize what I say next is even more important than what I just said. And he starts off with this phrase. In the NIV, it says, get rid, get rid of. In other versions, you might see that translated a bit differently. But we see in this translation, it's this sense of taking something off. It's the removal of something. Specifically, it's like taking off clothing, right? So when he says we need to take off filth, we need to take off the evil in our lives, he's talking about actually like removing it completely from our lives. Now, I want to ask you guys, I've got all sorts of good fun props up here. How many of you fellas have a pair of shoes, or ladies, I won't, I won't discriminate. How many of you ladies who mow the yard, or men that mow the yard, have a nasty, dirty pair of shoes like this just sitting around that you always mow in, right? These are absolutely disgusting. These are my dad's. These are not mine. Because as has been well documented, I haven't been able to mow a lawn in two years. It's, it's, it still hurts. But we all have these pairs of shoes, and they are for a very specific purpose. If you had a date, if you were going to like Tony's for dinner, if you were going to Jeff Ruby's or any fancy place, you would not wear these shoes. Even if you wanted to, your wife would not let you out of the house in these shoes. And so we have to remove those things. We have to take them off like they are a dirty piece of clothing because we as Christians have accepted Jesus, and so we have a nice new clothing of things that we should wear in our lives. Now, I know what you're thinking. Drew, did you buy a pair of shoes just for this illustration? No, I got the shoes this week, and I needed to use them as an illustration. 
So we have to remove the nasty things to put on the new and clean things in our lives. He's using a clothing metaphor here because he wants us to realize this is a daily choice. When we wake up every single day of the week, we have to choose what we are going to clothe ourselves with. And in our Christian walks on a day-to-day basis, we have to choose what we're going to wear. Are we going to put on our old, nasty, dirty, ugly, sinful self that has existed long before we knew who Jesus was? Or are we going to clothe ourselves in the newness of life and try to walk as Jesus walks? It's our choice. It is our choice who we look like every single day. And we can look like our old, nasty, crummy, dirty selves, like those old shoes, or we can choose to take them off and put on the clean things. Because that's what he says at the end of the verse. Notice the specific words that he uses. He says, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So we have these clothes that we often wear on the outside that are dirty, that are unclean, and instead we have something else planted within us that is clean and pure and perfect. And once we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, all of that changes if we just accept what is planted. It's the same thing as with choosing what we're going to wear in the morning. We choose what we're going to water in our lives. Are we going to choose to water what's been planted within us, or are we going to choose the dirty, nasty, ugly clothes and ignore what's inside of us? Because here's what happens. He goes on a little bit further in verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Let me read that one more time. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Again, James speaks very clearly in what he's trying to get across to his readers. He's letting you guys know. He's letting me know. He's letting all the Christians know. If we're going to follow Jesus, reading about Jesus, learning how to be obedient are all great things. But at some point, we have to move from listening, which he said was important at the very beginning, remember, to doing. He goes on in verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So guys, as Christians, if we want to look like Jesus, if we want to follow Jesus at some point, it's not just about listening. It's important, but we've got to also do what the Word says. There's two kinds of obedience. There's the obedience where we learn the law and we do what it says. And then there's also the obedience where God pushes us, uh, he uses the Holy Spirit to move us in compassion towards something, and we are to act out in obedience towards doing that. Obedience is knowing God's word, but also doing it. I heard this great illustration for what James is getting at here from Francis Chan. He, I think he said this at a church planning conference once, and he said, Christians are a lot like when you ask your child to clean a room. Those of you who are parents, uh, those of you who work at, at some point, you all know that parents have to often remind kids to clean their rooms, usually more than once in a less than hour-long span. It happens. I wasn't that great when my parents asked me to clean my room a lot of the times. Maybe some of you guys were. 
Some of you, that has come back around when you are parents and you're trying to get your kids to not clean their rooms. But it's hard because you go into your kid's room and you notice, ah, this is dirty. And so you, in a very clear fashion, say, clean your room. Seems very plain, right? The instructions seem very, very clear. This room is dirty. When I come back, it should no longer be that way. However, most of the time, as parents, we leave the room, come back, and we find it in almost the exact same way as we left it. Now imagine this for a second. Imagine you very clearly proclaim to your child, clean your room. You go away, you come back, and your child says, Dad, Mom, I heard what you said. And I decided after you left that I would sit down and I would read a book about all the ways that I could clean and organize my room. And I watch videos on different strategies about how to, to sort everything and put things in places and make sure that my room looked really, really good. And I looked at other kids' rooms to make sure that their rooms were clean and so that I had <coughs> something to, to measure myself against. And then I invited my friends over all this time while you were cooking dinner. And my friends and I, we sat in a group, a little com community, and we talked about how important it was that we clean our room. And we said that we would agree to encourage one another to clean our room. And we'd hold each other accountable to clean each other's rooms. And then the weirdest thing, mom and dad, my friends even brought a guitar over. And we sang about how great one day it will be when our room is clean. You hear how ridiculous that sounds? If your kid told you that, you're like, at some point, you've just got to clean your room. That's what we're supposed to do as Christians. We get up here every Sunday morning, and we talk about the things that we are supposed to do and, it looks like, and what it looks like for us to be a Christian, but at some point, we just need to do it. Like, if we're just listening here every Sunday morning, and we're trying our best to pay attention and listen, and we meet in community groups, and we challenge ourselves to read Scripture daily, all of those things are great, and they're things we should do, but at some point, we actually have to do what those words say. We can't just sit around. Imagine sitting before God in the end. <laughs> and he asks you, my, my, my servant, what have you done that I told you to do? And your response is, well, I went to church. I went to community group. I read my Bible. Most likely he'll say, well, I never knew you. Because that's not what it's about. It's about knowing Jesus and acting like him and being the witness for the world around us. And I think, well, as I close this message today, we're looking at James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. I think James also very clearly outlines what it looks like when this isn't the case. When we fail to not just listen, but also do. Let me read this for you, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious... And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Guys, I want you to realize, the people that Jesus fought with the most when he was here on earth were the religious people. The people who went to church every week, who went every time the doors were open at the local church. They were the people who literally knew every word of God. The, 
the religious leaders at the time memorized the first five books of the Bible. And these were the people that Jesus did not get along with. Because as James says, Jesus knew that their religion and their religiosity and the way that they practiced everything they did was worthless because they did not actually know God or do what he said. And if we are going to be, again, what the key point is for today, if we're going to be who the world sees, if we are going to be Jesus to the world, if we are going to be his representatives everywhere we go, in our homes, <coughs> where we work, in our neighborhoods, wherever it is we go, if we are going to be who the world sees in place of Jesus, how good is the example that they have? You know, I've, I've heard so many atheists and agnostics, which are just fancy ways of saying people who don't believe in God, I've heard those people say over and over and over again, you know, Drew, how, how am I supposed to believe in a God when there's kids over in Africa or in other third world countries that are starving and hurting and broken? How can there be a God or one who actually cares when that's happening? And it's because when you feel that move, when you feel the Holy Spirit pushing you towards one of those things, that's how you're supposed to be the representative of Jesus. The reason those things happen is because we as Christians have to step out and stop it. I've heard tons of Christians say, Drew, there's this, there's this, um, there's this foster home downtown, or there's this homeless uh, place downtown, and we need to be involved as a church. And you're not wrong. But here's the truth. When you feel the Holy Spirit moving you and pushing you in some way of compassion to do something about a group of people who are marginalized, that are distressed, it's not because Jesus isn't doing something about it. It's because he created you to do it. He created you to do something about it. And so you're not just supposed to listen to what the word says, but you actually have to do it. And that's how we become the purest form of representation for Jesus. I'm going to pray for us this morning. We're going to go back into this small time of worship. But I just, before we do that, I want to make sure you, you recognize. You are the best chance anybody has at seeing Jesus. How good of a representative are we? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we get to just be here to worship you, Lord. But Lord, we are also thankful for the opportunity to be your witnesses all over the world. That we get to be the, the representation for how people see you, that feel your love. Lord, that is just honorable to be able to do that on a daily basis. Lord, there's a lot of times we fall short of that. And, and Lord, I know that you've given us the, the Holy Spirit as the, the way of empowering us to move, to give us a spirit of discipline and of love and compassion. Lord, I pray that when, our, when we are weak, when we're falling short, when we want to put back on those filthy clothes, Lord, I just pray that you would move us with your Holy Spirit to do even what we don't want to do, but what we know that we should, that we not only listen to what you have to say, but we also do it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all this. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.